Shalom Aleichem, Erev Tov. We are studying together the introduction of the Rambam Des Mishneh Torah. And we started already last week discovering the personality of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai, who perhaps was the most pivotal leader, really escorted the Jewish people from the time of the second Ben Mikdash and into the beginning of their exile. He was a leader of transition. And much of what we have today in Judaism, we owe our transition to him. I would like to repeat the last few sentences we read together last time, just for the sake of how important they are. So if you look in column, in the left column, which is 500 at the top, you see the last word on the line says, Yechaso, Yechaso, his treatment. יחסו על כל אדם היה יחס של הוקרה וכבוד. רבן יוחנן בן זכאי treated every single person with endearment and respect. הוא היה מקדים שלום לכל אדם. He said shalom to every person, מקדים, meaning he said shalom to them before they said shalom to him. ואמרו עליו, and they said about him, that no person ever said shalom to him before he said shalom to them. Even an idol worshiper in the market, meaning just another person in the most insignificant of places, he always said shalom first. When big tzaddikim pass away, I read the obituaries people write about them. This rabbi spent his whole life studying Talmud from the morning until the night. He slept two hours a night. This one prayed with Kavanah. His weekday shacharit looked like Yorakil, Yom HaKippurim, When's the last time someone passed away? Betim Kham, they said, you know? It was special about him. He said shalom to everybody, even idol worshippers, before they said shalom to him. When's the last time we even taught a person that this is a character trait that we want you to have, to say shalom to people. I don't know what it is about big Jewish communities. I'll judge them favorably that they have so many Jews, they don't have time to say hello to everybody. But I know that as a San Diego kid growing up, you see another Jewish person in the street, someone especially Shabbat, they're visibly Jewish, dressed for Beth Knesset, you just wait for the opportunity to say Shabbat Shalom, good Shabbos, whatever you want to say to them. And they respond, and they react, and they say, hello, how are you, where are you from? Da-da. I remember going to big cities, Los Angeles, New York. And you say, hello, Shabbat Shalom. Like Hal Sinai, called the Mama Daka was a voice of silence. You go to the Knesset, Shabbat Shalom. Nobody answers. You get an aliyah to the Torah, and you come down, Chazak nothing. Jewish people forgot how to say hello to each other. This is one of the character traits that our Chachamim were very proud of. Our rabbis tell us that if you say shalom to somebody and they don't respond to you, they stole from you. The person who doesn't respond shalom is stealing from the one who gave them shalom. How can someone say shalom to you, peace be upon you, and you can't respond? More than that, I'm going to tell you. The word shalom. Everybody writes, hi, hello, hey, what's up? 
I don't know what people say nowadays. Jewish people don't say hi. Jewish people don't say hey. Jewish people, especially to each other, say shalom. Teach yourself to say shalom. You write someone a text message, don't write, hey, Joe, write, shalom, Joe. That's the way you're supposed to write as a Jewish person. We wish each other shalom. We want to go, shalom alechem, alechem shalom. How is it that we've abandoned all of our greetings for, hey, what's up? And our cousins, the Ishmaelim, still, salam alaikum, alaikum salam. How could they still have our good character traits? And we threw them in the trash. Haraperetz, if you say hi to him, he doesn't answer you. If you wish him good morning, he'll correct you. Don't tell me good morning, tell me shalom. Oh, you want to wish me good morning? Later. First wish me shalom. Say goodbye to somebody, don't say bye. Don't say goodnight, say shalom. It's so weird to be so Jewish. It's so much weirder to be so many of the other things that people are in the street and they're not afraid. They're not embarrassed. Why do you have to be embarrassed? Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai said shalom to everybody. Kvod me'od. He respected people deeply. He had a famous teaching. Bo ure, come and see. Kamachas hamakom al kevod haberiot. By the way, one of the major differences between the Babylonian Talmud and the Yerushalmi Talmud is this phrase here. The Babylonian Talmud is full of a word, Tashma, come in here. Ovadia, um, in Spanish, when you tell somebody, Mira, Mira, what are you telling them? Come, pay attention, look here. In Hebrew, we also say mira. We say, in Aramaic, come here, come watch, come look. In Israel, the Chachamim used to say, come look. In Bavel, the Chachamim said, Tashma, come here, come listen. What's the difference? I once saw a Chacham who suggested. In Eretz Israel, the Judaism, it's there, it's alive, it's real. Come look, I'm talking to Yerushalayim. This is Yerushalayim, the sidewalk is Yerushalayim. I'm talking about the Bet Mikdash, that's where the Bet Mikdash used to be. In America, what do we do? We're like on Zoom. We're Tashma, come in here, it's indirect. Our Judaism is not an experience like it is in Eretz Israel. Rabbani Chom Zakai, who's living in Eretz Israel, says, come and see. How much? HaKadosh Baruch Hu respects the dignity of human beings. There's a difference in price if you steal someone's ox or you steal someone's sheep. Do you know the difference in Halakha? The book of Shemot. How much do you have to pay back if you steal somebody's ox? How much? Five times. That's right. You have to pay back five times. And if you steal someone's sheep, four times. Very good. Says Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. Show me pnei shemehalech beraglav meshalem chamisha. 
the ox that you steal, because he walks on his own legs, you have to pay five times the amount. Say, but the sheep, because you have to put him on your back to carry him. You ever seen someone do that? You take a sheep and put it on your shoulders. Oh, but you don't know anybody who ever did that in their life, right? You take a sheep on your shoulder. Like that. Because you have to go through the embarrassment of carrying him on your shoulders, you only have to pay back four, not five. You get a discount because you had to disrespect yourself when you stole. So HaKadosh Baruch says only pay four times the amount, not five times the amount. But the cow, because he walks on his own, you didn't work hard to steal him. You have to pay back five times the amount. Rabbani Muhammad Zakai sees even in the laws of stealing that human dignity, even of the thief, is important to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And yes, he has to be penalized. But in which way can he be penalized? There's a man here in the United States. He's not a good person. People think he's a hero. He runs a prison system. I won't mention to you where. I've watched him for a long time. I'm, I'm involved in Jewish study of the American prison system. And he has all kinds of humiliating things that he makes his prisoners do. You know, America is a fascinating place with a lot of freedoms. Until a person becomes a criminal. How easy is it to become a criminal in America? Very easy. And if you come from certain places or you look a certain way, it's even easier to be a criminal in the United States of America. And once you become a criminal and you're put in a cage, what kind of cage? The same people who fight that the whales at SeaWorld should have a bigger enclosure, they don't care that the human beings one mile from SeaWorld are living in tiny little cages with no sunlight. They complain that the whales, by the way, I'm all for giving animals their freedom. They complain the whales, they don't get to swim in the ocean, they don't get to swim with their family, they need their brothers and their sisters and their mothers and their children. What about a person who's a criminal? They don't deserve their brothers and their sisters and their mother and their children and their wife or their husband just because they committed a crime so now you get to put them in a jail cell? Who let you? Which Torah allowed you to? So now you broke all the rules of humanity and you took a human being and you put them in a cage. Now you could do whatever you want to the human being? The answer is yes. The moment a person enters an American prison, they lose all their rights. Yeah, officially there are rights, officially. But the right of dignity, of respect, what kind of person has to walk around all day with chains in their hands? Make sense? Someone is dangerous and they're a murderer, they should be dead already. They shouldn't be in a prison. They're supposed to be killed. You can't fix a person like that. But somebody who's not dangerous? What lets you take a person to court wearing an orange jumpsuit? Halakha doesn't allow you to take a person to court in an orange jumpsuit. They're in court. You're going to sentence them to death. They deserve to dress the way they want to dress. You can't just pull a person in and out, do whatever you want with them, scream at them, make them stand in line, clean a floor with a... You can't do that. Do you know how much sexual assault exists in American prison? All of the people in the world who rally against all kinds of relationships they, uh, they think are forbidden in the Torah. What about in the prison system? Do you know how often that happens? 
Do I hear their voices ever screaming about people's rights there? Never. They don't care. You know why they don't care? Because in the West, we've been taught that certain people deserve your compassion and other people don't deserve your compassion. My wife, the Rabbanit, she once taught a class quoting, I don't remember the personalities, my wife is a professor, I'm not. Uh, there's a, one of the founders of the social work movement it explained very clearly that there are two categories of poor people. There's the deserving poor and the undeserving poor. Who's a deserving poor person? There's a list of people that you're compassionate about. For some of you, it might be Jewish people versus non-Jewish people. Hashem should save you from the prejudice. For some people, it's I'll take care of veterans, but I won't take care of this one. For some people, it's if a person is mentally unstable, they don't deserve my compassion. But if they, everybody has different rules in their mind about who's deserving and who's not. Somehow a crippled person who's a handicapped, perhaps they deserve my compassion. But the other person who's just as crippled, they're a drug addict, they're sick, they don't deserve my compassion. We do this all the time. Society teaches us who is deserving and who's undeserving. Rabban Yochanan bin Zakai is telling you, even the thief, he stole from another person. When he comes to Bedin, we make him pay less if part of his stealing, he had to lose his dignity. Do you understand the difference between a Torah that the creator of the universe writes versus a legal code that human beings write? The compassion of Borei Olam, of the creator of the universe, human beings don't even have an inkling as to how to be like HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's why we're commanded. You must emulate HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Our rabbis tell us, how do you emulate HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Mahu chanun, afata chanun. Mahu rachum, afata rachum. Just like he is compassionate, you be compassionate. Like he is kind, you must be kind. Our job is to try to emulate HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the job of a Jewish person in this world. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu, every single morning, chooses to allow criminals to wake up and have life and air in their lungs and healthy blood in their veins. If that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided, because if he didn't want them, he would have destroyed them already. He knows how. Then why, when I start talking about how people in prison deserve to be treated like human beings, does everybody who's listening to the shiul begin to get uncomfortable and shift in their chair? You're better than Borei Olam. You're more religious than the creator of the universe. Enough of Jewish people not having Jewish values. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai is teaching you that a Kadosh Baruch Hu has compassion even on the criminals. You know, people tell me, I can't get along with this person. They don't X, Y, and Z. That every day there are people in the world who don't believe in a Kadosh Baruch Hu. They reject a Kadosh Baruch Hu. They make fun of HaKadosh Baruch Hu on the radio, on TV. They even, some of them believe in Avod Azara. Now they don't believe, they believe in the exact opposite of Hashem. You know what happens when their child gets sick and they pray to their, not HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they pray to their idol. They say, my rock, my stick, my stone, please heal my son. You think that rock knows how to heal it? No. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu listens. And he hears a human being who has a child who's hurting. And he answers them. But you're more religious now than a Kadosh Baruch That certain people you can love and others you can't. And certain people you can help and others you can't. 
Rabbi Zakai is teaching us one of the values of Am Yisrael is that we treat human life with dignity. With dignity. And above all else, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, the bottom left of page 500. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai said that truth and peace are the primary values of Am Yisrael. It was Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai who taught us there are seven types of robbers. Harishon Shebakulam, and the greatest of all the robbers, the worst thief in the world, Gonev Da'ata Beriot. A person who steals the intelligence of people. What is that action? What does Gonev Da'at mean? Don't give me a legal definition, a loose understanding of Gonev Da'at. Right, someone who misleads other people. He steals from them by stealing not something tangible. I stole your car, I can give you back a car. I stole $100 from you, I can pay you back $100. I stole something from you, though, that's not tangible. I lied to you. I cheated you. I misled you. I tricked you. I conned you. I can't ever give you back that which I stole from you. That, the liar, the cheat, is the worst of all of them. Al Hamikra, there's a pasuk that says in Devarim, chapter 27, verse 6, We have an obligation, and everyone know what this mitzvah is talking about? We have to use complete stones to do what? Whole stones to do what? To break the mitzvah? Very good. To build the mitzvah, the altar in the temple. We have to build it out of stones that are shelemot, that are whole. Rabban Yochanan Hayadoresh. Rabban Yochanan taught. What does it mean, even shelema? A whole stone, a complete stone. Avanim shematinot shalom. There are stones that bring peace, not whole. Shalom, shalem are the same word. There are stones that bring about peace. devarim kal you can learn from a lesser matter to a more stringent matter. If the stones of the altar, top of page 501, the next page. The stones of the altar, they don't see, they don't speak, they don't hear. Because they bring peace between Hashem and the Jewish people. How do the stones of the altar bring peace with Yonah Hashem? Hashem? By the sacrifices Hashem forgive us, and actually it's peaceful. We do very good. We do something wrong. We bring a, a, a sacrifice. HaGadosh Baruch forgives us. And it brings peace, not just to ourselves, but between us and Hashem. If on those stones that don't speak, and they don't talk, and they don't hear, Hashem said you're not allowed to use metal on them. You know this mitzvah? You're not allowed to cut the stones of the mizbeach with metal. If that's what a Kadosh Baruch said about a rock that doesn't hear, it doesn't speak, it doesn't see, 
that it brings peace between people and therefore you're not allowed to use metal on them. A person who brings peace between a man and a man, ben ish between a man and his wife, ben ir le'ir, between a city and a city, ben uma le'uma, between one nation and another nation, ben memshala le'memshala, between one government and the other government, ben mishpacha le'mishpacha, between one family and another family, alachat kama v'chama, shelo tavo alav pu'anut. How much more so can we be sure that if you make yourself the type of person who brings peace between people, between couples, between families, between governments, between nations, if you are a peacemaker, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that rocks that bring peace, you can't hurt them with metal, how much more so that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will make sure that if you are the one who brings peace, that metal will never come, nothing bad will ever harm you. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai was concerned, not only with the individual person's life, he was concerned with the, the general public. Between nation and nation, between government and government. That therefore shouldn't surprise you. So certainly you should know that Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai did not believe in the rebellious zealots that we spoke about last week in their rebellion against the Romans. And he did not believe in their success. Let's pause for a moment. I'm going to send out a link to you through the Google Classroom. I'm just going to add this to the Zoom chat, so give me a moment. Okay, here's my chat. Perfect. You can click the link at the end because we're going to use this link a little bit later today. The Gemara tells us on Masechet Gitin on page 56a there were certain zealots among the people of Jerusalem. The sages, our Chachamim, said to them let us go out and make peace with the Romans. Why would the Chachamim want to make peace with the Romans? So that uh, they wouldn't destroy more of the, of the Israel, of Jerusalem. We can at least save Yerushalayim. Sure, we'll be under occupation. But we'll have a better Mikdash. We'll have Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin will have a place to meet. Let's go make peace with the Romans. But the zealots did not allow them to do this, the Kanaim. The zealots said to the Chachamim, let us go out and engage in battle against the Romans. 
But the sages said to them, you will not be successful. It would be better for you to wait until the siege is broken. The Chachamim knew that you won't be successful because as our rabbis taught us, there is no evil person who is not successful sometimes. Sometimes, it's a, for whatever reason we don't understand, allows the evil people to be in control, allows the evil people to do what they need to do. And our Chachamim said, don't fight them now, wait. First give in to them. We're not saying forget about Yerushalayim forever. What are we saying? Give us some time. Let us regroup. But for right now, make peace with the Romans. Save Yerushalayim. In order to force the residents of the city to engage in battle, the zealots arose and burned down the storehouses of wheat and barley, and there was a general famine. If you look above... If you look above, look at the paragraph right before this one in Sepharia. These three wealthy men had between them enough commodities to sustain the besieged for 21 years. How much food did the wealthy men of Yerushalayim have? They had enough food in order to let the Romans besiege Yerushalayim for 21 years, and not one person would be hungry. You don't think that somebody could surround Yerushalayim for 21 years? You don't think the Jews could have done Teshuvah, and HaKadosh Baruch would have sent the Romans away? So what did the rabbis say? Make peace with them. We have food. We have water. We have money. We have, we're not losing anything. We still have a Ben Mikdash that's running. And what do the zealots do, the Kanaim? They want to force the rabbis into war. So what do they do is they go and burn down all of the food of the Jewish people. Why? To force the Jewish people to go to war against the Romans. You don't think that in Am today, there are people who try to bring peace. Then other people force us into war. Not I'm talking politically. In every which way, it's in communities, it's in families. There's always these people that prefer war. They prefer to, and if it means self-sabotage in order to force you into battle, They'll do it. Because they don't stop at anything. Am Yisrael has always suffered from such people. Now, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai is one of those rabbis who stood up against the Kanaim and said, do not fight the Romans. Make peace with the Romans. But they didn't listen. Leave this Gitin open. Let's go back though to our PDF. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai, he hated the sword. He saw the sword as something that destroys. Siman Puraniyut, it brings about calamity and disaster. Hu haya Doresh, he used to teach. Why is iron pasul more than any of the other metals? Siman Puranut, umizbach, Siman Kapara. Mavirin davar she Siman Puranut, midavar she Siman Kapara. The reason why iron and not gold or silver, we're not allowed to go on the altar, is because iron is used for war. It's used for making swords. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I cannot allow something that kills, that makes war. I cannot allow that on the Mizbech, which brings peace between Hashem and the Jewish people. In a generation of rebellion, in the clashing of swords, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, 
who you may look as some type of peaceful, dovish person. In the face of war, he was encouraging peace. That was the most dangerous position to have at that generation. People want swords. They wanted blood. They wanted fighting. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai was courageous. And he spent his life trying to calm the spirits. Trying to get everyone to just relax a little bit. Don't be hasty now. Don't rush into things that will only bring about destruction for Yerushalayim. In this way, it's correct what we said earlier last week. That Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai is almost the rabbinic version of the prophet Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah. He's the one who's begging the Jewish people, do this, don't do that. We can save Yerushalayim. And ultimately, when the Jewish people don't listen and Jerusalem is destroyed, it's Yirmiyahu who takes them into exile and becomes their leader in exile. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai is bound for the same destiny. The Jewish people don't listen, and he becomes the last rabbi of the temple and the first rabbi after the destruction. The Talmudic Agadah tells a story in Masechet Yomah. That 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the doors of the Hechal, of the Holy in the Bed Mikdash, the, the doors of the Bed Mikdash would open on their own. Why would they open on their own? The commentaries explain they knew that foreigners would come and open them against their will, so they already were opening themselves, so they wouldn't have to be violated. One day, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, he saw the gates of the temple opening on their own, and he screamed at them. And remember what I told you before, Agadah is not meant to be taken literally. The story may or may not ever have happened. The idea behind the stories was important. The reason the rabbis shared with us the story is not so you believe that there were automatic doors in the Bet Mikdash. But rather so you understand what was said. Even the Bet Mikdash knew that its end was near. And Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai has a conversation with the building. And he tells the Bet Mikdash, Amalu hechal hechal, sanctuary, sanctuary. Why are you scaring yourself? Why are you concerning yourself with these prophecies? I already know about you that you're going to be destroyed. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai was not an idealist in the face of reality. He knew that the Bede Mikdash was going to be destroyed. And unlike other leaders of his time, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai felt that if he did not step up to the plate and take responsibility for the Jewish future, after the destruction, the Jewish people would not be equipped to survive what the Romans were about to do to them. Kiribit Sadok Havero was like Kiribit Sadok, his friend. Who was Kiribit Sadok? There's an unusual Agarata of Kiribit Sadok. One moment, I'll try and find it for you. Let me share with you the source in the Zoom link. Is there a limit to how much I can send to you? Yeah. 
Click that link, I just signed on a Zoom invitation. And a Zoom link. Rabban Yochan ben Zakai read concerning her. Let's go back a second. Marta Bat Baitus was one of the wealthy women of Jerusalem. I'm two paragraphs above the link that I sent you. She sent out her agent and said to him, Go bring me fine flour, Samida. By the time he went, the fine flour was already sold. He came and said to her, There is no fine flour, but there is ordinary flour. There's a famine here, because remember the, the zealots had burned down the storehouses. She said to him, Go then and bring me ordinary flour. By the time he went, the ordinary flour was also sold. It's like finding toilet paper before COVID. He said and came to her, there's no ordinary flour, but there's coarse flour. She said, fine, go and bring me coarse flour. By the time he went, the coarse flour was already sold. He came and said to her, there's no coarse flour, but there's barley flour. She said to him, go then and bring me barley flour. But once again, by the time he went, the barley flour was sold. She had just removed her shoes, but she said, I will go out myself and see if I can find something to eat. She stepped on some, here it says here, dung, which stuck to her foot, and overcome by disgust, she died. Meaning, this was a very finicky woman. This was a very wealthy woman of Jerusalem. She was aristocracy. But because she had to go to the street and try to look for food, she died from the shame or the indignity of having to deal with what a commoner had to deal with. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai read concerning her the verse found in the section of the Torah listing the curses that will befall Israel. The tender and delicate woman among you who would not adventure to set the sole of her foot upon the ground. There are those who say that she did not step on dung, but rather she ate a fig of Rabbi Tzadok and became disgusted and died. There's a plot twist here. She didn't step on anything. She ate something. What did she eat? One of the figs of Rabbi Tzadok. Who was Rabbi Tzadok? And why is he eating figs? And why were her figs, his figs, so disgusting? Rabbi Tzadok observed fasts for 40 years, praying that Jerusalem would not be destroyed. So 40 years he was fasting to pray that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should not destroy the temple of the Jewish people. He became so emaciated for fasting that when he would eat something, it was visible from the outside of his body. And when he would eat after a fast, they would bring him figs, and he would suck their, out their liquid and cast the rest away. It was one such fig that Marta Badbaitus found and that caused her death. It was so repulsive from his mouth. You can imagine 40 years of fasting? That she died from the sick taste of this fig. But if these gemarot are depressing you, that's the point. This section of Talmud and Gitin and this page is in this page range are all the things that we study on Tisha B'Av. They're the parts of the Talmud that we're allowed to study on the ninth of Av, which is the destruction of our temple. We're not done yet with this Gemara. We'll leave it open. Let's go back into the conversation here surrounding Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai. So back in your PDF at the bottom of page 501. 
like Rabbi Tzadok, the friend, the colleague of Rabban Yochan ben Zakai. That he spent 40 years in a fast so that Jerusalem wouldn't be destroyed. Rabban Yochan ben Zakai also foresaw that the Bet HaMikdash was going to be destroyed. And from the moment it was clear to Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai that the Bet HaMikdash was going to be destroyed, he decided from that point forward that he was going to do damage control to try to save whatever it is that he could at least save. On the eve of the destruction. When there was no choice left to save the Bet HaMikdash. His students remove him from Yerushalayim that was besieged by the Romans. You know, let's, instead of reading it here, let's read it inside the Gemara. Why don't we do that in the Gemara? So I'm going to send you again a link. Um, for those who are in this class, if you join the Zoom link, you'll be able to get... I just sent out a link. The Gemara relates. You see where I am? I'm in Gitin, page 56a, subsection 15. Do we need help finding it? Yes. If you check your phone, I sent it to you too. Oh. Okay, the Gemara says. 56, 16? 15. 56A, 15. So if you want to find that on your own, you go to safaria.org, click Talmud. Go to the Talmud, click Gitin. Choose page 56A and go to subsection 15. The Gemara relates, Abba Sikara was the leader of the zealots, the Bironim, of Jerusalem. And he was the son of the sister of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. So he, who was he to Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai? He was the son of his sister. What do we call the son of your sister in English? A nephew, very good. He was the nephew of Rabban Yochanan Zakai. So this zealot, one of the leaders of the zealots of Jerusalem, was none other than the nephew of Rabban Yochanan Zakai. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai sent a message to him, come to me in secret. He came. And Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai said to him, until when will you do this and kill everyone through starvation? How long are you going to keep bullying the Jewish people themselves and force us to starve? Abba Sikara said to him, what can I do? For if I say something to them, they will kill me. Do you know how often people in leadership positions that you think are really leaders actually have a gun to their head? Not a real gun. 
But there are other people who they're beholden to. That they can't make their own decisions on their own. In which case, why are they really leaders? They're not leaders, they're puppets. You know, from the early days of Shiviti, my wife and I have taken it on ourselves to be very wary with affiliations. Not chas v'shalom because we're snobby or arrogant or we like to be lone wolves. It's not fun to be lonely. But we never want to be in a situation where there's someone who has a gun to our head and says, oh, you're under my thumb and therefore you have to do X, Y, and Z. And Baruch Hashem, we've only seen Berakha from that. Sure, it comes along with a lot of heartache. But it's so much better to be able to be free than to be beholden to someone else. Unfortunately, so much of Jewish leadership, I'm not talking about the rest of the world, forget that, are owned by other people. They belong to some company with a company line they have to tow. They're under the influence of some wealthy people in the community who own them. They're under the influence of corrupt people, whoever it might be. And so you're not really a leader. You think you're a leader, but you're not really a leader. You're a follower. Everyone else thinks you're a leader. But you're following bad people, and then people follow you, and you lead them on a path of destruction. Abba Sikala said, I would love to stop this war. But my people, if I tell them to stop, they'll kill me. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai said to him, If you can't stop this war, show me a method so that I will be able to leave the city. Then it is possible that through this there will be some small salvation. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai clearly has a plan. He has a plan to get out of the walls of the city to the Romans. And he's asking the Birionim who are manning the gates. If you're watching a little bit of what's going on in Kabul, and you see there's different groups of people manning the gates. How can you let me get through, I know how to get through my government's gates, but how can you let me get through your group of, uh, of Birionim, of zealots, how can I get through there? Abbas Sikara said to him, I'm now in section 16, this is what you should do. Pretend to be sick and have everyone come and ask about your welfare so that the world, word will spread about your alien condition. Let everyone know that Chief Rabbi Rabbi Zakai is sick and people should start coming to visit you. Afterwards, bring something putrid and place it near you so that people will say that you have died and are decomposing. Once that happens, have your students enter to bring you to burial and let no one else come in so the zealots not notice that you are still light. As the zealots know that a living person is lighter than a dead person. I don't know how scientifically this is true or not. But in my life, unfortunately, I've carried many a coffin before. It doesn't seem the same as carrying a person who is alive. I don't know. No, lighter and, and weight. Weight. Dead weight, right? That's like, that is an expression. You're right, man. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai did this. Rabbi Eliezer entered from one side, Rabbi Yoshua from the other side to take him out. When they arrived at the entrance of the city, the guards who were of the faction of the zealots wanted to pierce him with their sword in order to ascertain that he was actually dead, as was the common practice. And they're not letting anybody through unless they make sure he's actually dead. Abba Sikara said to them, the Romans will say that they pierce even their rabbi. Don't do that. It's disrespectful. You'll disrespect us in front of the Romans. The guards then wanted at least to push him to see whether he was still alive. In which case, he would cry out an account of the pushing. They wanted to hurt him at least. Abbas Sikara said to them, and they will say that they pushed their rabbi. 
The guards then opened the gate and he was taken. When Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai reached the Roman camp, he said to the Roman general, Greetings to you, the king. Greetings to you, the king. Vespasian. Vespasian? How do you say his name? Vespasian, thank you. Vespasian said to him, You are liable for two death penalties. One, because I am not a king, and yet you call me king. And furthermore, if I am a king, why didn't you come to me until now? So I should kill you twice. One for calling just a general a king. And if I am the king, then I should kill you for not coming to me until today. Rabbani Yochanan ben Zakai said to him, As for what you said about yourself, I am not a king. We're now on the top of page 56b in the Gemara. In truth, you are a king. And if not now, then in the future. As if you are not a king, Jerusalem will not be handed over into your hands as it is written. Okay. And for what you said with your second comment, if I am a king... Why didn't you come to me until now? There are zealots among us who did not allow us to do this. So the first answer of Vespasian, you might not be the king right now, but you eventually will be the king, and so I'm not guilty of that. And you will only be able to take over Jerusalem once you become king, because our prophets already told us that the king will take over Jerusalem. The second, I didn't come to you until now, because you know that the zealots among us have stopped me from being able to come and speak with you until now. Understanding that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was prepared to ask him not to destroy the temple, Vespasian said to him, If there is a barrel of honey and a snake is wrapped around it, wouldn't they break the barrel in order to kill the snake? Meaning, Yerushalayim is a barrel of honey, but it's surrounded by zealots that want to kill us, the Romans. Wouldn't you agree that I would destroy the honey, I'll destroy Jerusalem, in order to crush the rebellion of the snake, of the, of the uh, rebels. Rav Yosef later read the following, uh, ben Zakai was silent and he did not answer. This silence of Rabbani Yochanan ben Zakai caused his colleagues to question whether or not partially the destruction of Jerusalem was his fault. So not only is he being questioned by the people, Rabbani Yochanan ben Zakai is being challenged by his colleagues as they said about him, Rabbi Yosef later read the following verse about him. And some say that it was Rabbi Akiva who applied the verse to Rabbi Yochan ben Zakai. It makes sense, Rabbi Akiva, because Rabbi Akiva was affiliated with the camp of the Zealots. His hero for a period of time was none other than Bar Kokhba, the great disappointment of Israel, who was supposed to redeem the Jewish people from the Romans. He said, I am the Lord who turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolish. That's from Mishael, 44. As Rabbanu Ham ben Zakai should have said the following to Vespasian in response. In such a case, we take tongs, remove the snake from the barrel, and kill it. Why would you break a barrel of honey to kill the snake? I mean, he should have responded. By the way, why didn't he speak? Why do you think Rabbanu ben Zakai didn't say anything? Nobody can judge Rabbi Yochanan Zakai favorably. He should have told this patient he's wrong and saved Jerusalem. Help me. But maybe he thought of that answer, but then realized that Vespasian would retort that it would be impossible to distinguish 
the zealots from the other people and that it would be just too impractical. It wasn't their mode of thinking and their way of doing things to, you know, what line people up and, I don't know, judge their hearts or something. Yeah, I wouldn't, like he, he was thinking that it just, it wouldn't sound practical to Vespasian. Let's, let, let's say, let me say it a little simpler and play, but a little different. He probably realized that Vespasian had already made up his mind to destroy Jerusalem. And by fighting him on that, he's not going to get what he really came for. Remember what we said? He only came to Vespasian once he realized there is no hope to save Jerusalem. Now he's on plan B. He's not looking to fight for plan A. Because once someone tells you no, then it's over. He's nothing else to ask for. He's not looking to save Jerusalem now. He's already realized Jerusalem will be destroyed. What's the difference between an optimist and a pessimist? He said that a pessimist is an optimist with experience. And that's exactly what Rabbi Muhammad Zakai is. He is a man who would love to believe that Jerusalem will be saved. But he's already convinced that it won't be saved. And that with these sikrikim, with these zealots that are burning down the storehouses, that Jerusalem is a matter of time before it gets destroyed. In the meantime, as they were talking, a messenger arrived from Rome and said to him, Rise, for the emperor has died, and the noblemen of Rome plan to appoint you as their leader and make you the next emperor. So, Omani Khan ben Zakai's plan came true. Now, there's a little more of a conversation here between Omani Khan ben Zakai and Vespasian, which is not relevant to us. Go to page, section 5, and page 56b, subsection 5. Before Vespasian leaves to Rome, he turns to Rabbi Muhammad Zakai and says, Amarle, he tells him, I will be going to Rome to accept my new position. And I will send someone else in my place to continue besieging the city and wage war against it. But before I leave, ask me something of me that I can give you. And don't ask me to save Jerusalem. I can't. That's beyond my control. Again, another leader who's not really in control. It's very interesting all the leaders who are leaders but are not in control. Give me something that I can actually do for you. One of the most famous sayings that Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai ever said in his life. He tells him, Ten li Yavne v'chachameha. Give me the city of Yavne and the sages, the Torah scholars that are there and do not destroy it. And spare the dynasty of Rabban Gamliel of the royal family. And do not kill them as if they were rebels. And lastly, give me doctors to heal Rabbi Sadok, who has been fasting for 40 years. And now there's no more reason for him to fast. Because Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Oh, look, the Gemara says, Rav Yosef read the following verse about him. And some say that it was Rabbi Akiva. I am the Lord who turns wise men backwards and make their knowledge foolish, as he should have said to him, leave the Jews alone this time. Says the Gemara, and why didn't Rabbi Yochan ben Zakai make this request? He maintained that Vespasian might not do that much for him. And there would not be even a small amount of salvation. And therefore, he made only a modest request in the hope that he would receive at least that much. Sometimes you have to know Tafasta merube lo tafasta. Our rabbis tell us, if you try to grab onto too much, you'll get nothing. You have to say, I'm going to grab onto a little bit. And, and when I was a kid, there was the show on TV. I don't know if it's still around. Who wants to be a millionaire? 
And they ask people these questions, and these questions, they get, they get harder as you go along, and there's the $5,000 questions, the $10,000 questions, the $25,000 questions, the $50,000, $100,000, and then you, know, you get closer, and the million dollars, of course, those questions are crazy, but then, you know, the whole point is that you shouldn't win a million dollars. That's the whole point of the game. I never understood, what stops a person? You hit $250,000. 10 minutes ago, you had $250,000? No. Why would you not just get up and walk away? What happens to 99% of those contestants that try to go for a million dollars or for $500,000? They walk out losing everything. They don't even get the two hundred. dollars The $250,000 is not yours. You just gambled it to get more. You know how many people in life, by trying to take too much, by trying to be too greedy, they lose everything they have. How were rabbis told us to do the opposite? You don't need 10 houses. Have one house that you pay the mortgage on, that it's paid off in full. One car, you don't need seven cars that you own that's yours. Don't start gambling with 20 houses and payments from here and payments from there. Then all what happens, a person finds himself homeless. Was it worth it? A person has to know it's not just risk assessment like everybody does. It's okay to ask for what you know is attainable. And that's what Rabbani Quran Zakai did. Now that we've heard this, let us look back together in the PDF. I know I have a few more minutes left, so what that means to me is that we are going to be learning about Rabbani Muhammad Zakai next Tuesday also. I told you that if I would make a six-week course where we studied every day about Rabbi Muhammad Zakai, we still wouldn't finish his life. One of our greatest Jewish leaders. Look on page 502 in the PDF. What is Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Zakai's strategy? Tell me what's going on here. He goes to Vespasian and says, don't save Jerusalem, don't not slaughter the people. Give me Yavne and its sages. Give me Rabban Gamliel of the royal family. And of course, he'll give me doctors to heal Rabbi Tzadok. What's he doing here? What's the end game of Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Zakai? What's his strategy? What's he trying to do? Okay, Baruch. That's the closest. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai is building a city in which he can maintain autonomous Jewish leadership. You're going to fight me for Jerusalem? I don't need Jerusalem. I need a place where the nation of Israel can continue to thrive. And to do that, I need Torah scholars, and I need political leaders. And I need them to be autonomous. Why autonomous? You're going to rule over Jerusalem. I need you to give me a place that you don't have control over. When our rabbis move the seat of authority from the Bet HaMikdash that is destroyed to the Bet HaMidrash, to the study hall, that you and I are sitting in right now, which force in the world has control over this study hall? You can destroy Jerusalem again, but you can't destroy a Midrash. You can't destroy a city of sages. You can't take away the power that the nobility of the sages of Israel carry with them. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is planning for stage two. Exile mode 
is going to require Torah and political leadership that are autonomous. If you recall, we've said this so many times, that by the Sephardim, Jewish autonomy, Jewish national autonomy is the highest and most important value that we have. We don't want as Sephardim to be equal citizens of the world. Equal citizenship would mean that I give up my own citizenship. I don't know about you, but Yonatan Halevi is a citizen of the Jewish nation in exile. And possibly already today, the Jewish nation which is not in exile. To become an equal citizen of the rest of the world, to allow the rest of the world to judge me, to jail me, to, to, to police me, to all of those things, to tax me, to not chazom me. But all of those things means, yes, I'm an equal citizen. But I've lost my national autonomy. Why would I want to replace my national autonomy with something else? About that in a different shiur, not for tonight. Et merkaz ha-kovet shel yadut hu ma'atik ma'avodat ha-mikdash in ha-Torah u'gmenut chasadim. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai then moves the burden, the brunt of Jewish service from worship of the temple to acts of goodness and kindness in the study of Torah. Misupar, there's a story told about Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. One time, he was departing from Jerusalem. Rabbi Yehoshua was the rabbi, was, chief rabbi, was walking behind him. And he saw the Ben Mikdash was destroyed. Woe to us that the Ben Mikdash is destroyed. That place which they forgive the sins of the Jewish people. Don't be sad. We have something that is just as good as a better Mikdash. Which one? That is the act of doing kindness to others. The Prophet told us, I yearn for your kindness to others and not for your sacrifices in the temple. Next week, we're going to talk about this new transition. The changes in Jewish law that Rabban Yochanan begins in Judaism that we are still observing until today in this community. On Rosh Hashanah, on Sukkot, on other instances, we follow laws that were instituted by Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai in this generation. That I'm not aware that most, I'm not sure that most of us are aware that it was Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai who reformed our Jewish practice and gave us this Judaism that we have today. But for right now, I need to pause on this last note. We live in a world that is so complicated. One of the most consistent themes that comes up against the Jewish community, especially from our friends, the Christians, over and over and over again, is that without the blood of the sacrifices in the Ben Mikdash, you need the blood of some mamzer. And I tell you, this is not new to us. We are Pharisees, the sons of Pharisees. We are Pirushim, the sons of Pirushim. There's a reason for that. Our rabbis firmly believed, like our prophets told us, it's not the sacrifice that atones. It's not the Mikdash that brings peace between us and Hashem. Sure, we are missing an element of our Judaism in exile, or even in Israel, but without a better Mikdash. But we can accomplish exactly what a better Mikdash could accomplish by our study of Torah by our acts of chesed, of kindness with each other and with other people. 
This is who Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai is. He is a leader that sees Judaism not with all of its external trappings, but he sees the essence of Judaism. And he says, when you lose all of those external trappings, when everything else that you know to be Jewish falls by the wayside, how are you still going to be Jewish? So I have a plan. Give me Yavne and his sages. Give me Rabban Gamliel and his family of leadership. Give me doctors to heal Rabbi Tzadok. And these people will lead us into the Jewish future. So often, I see a Jewish community that is so hell-bent on bringing the Mashiach, which I'm all for. It's one of the 30 principles of the Rambam, that we are waiting every single day for redemption to come. But I look at a Jewish community that because of their belief in the Mashiach, refuses to take responsibility now and still build the city of Yavne and maintain its sages and find Rabban Gamliel to lead us. Yes, there's work to do in Israel. Yes, there's work to do here. Mashiach is not the be-all, end-all. We have a job to make sure that our people will make it until the Mashiach comes. And if everything that you try to build and everything you want to plan and everything you... No, just wait for the Mashiach to come. Well, that creates a Jewish community that looks like ours. A Jewish community that is so destroyed and is so downtrodden that there's nothing that can help it except for a Mashiach because they're not willing to help themselves. Part of the model of leadership that we have adopted is that of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai. Of course we strive for Jerusalem. Of course we strive for the Bet HaMikdash. But in the moments that we don't have a Bet HaMikdash, in the moments that we don't have Jerusalem, we at the very least are going to make sure that we maintain our own autonomous Batei Midrash, our own autonomous Batei Knesset, our own places for which Judaism will flourish, thrive, and return itself back to Yerushalayim Yerat Kodesh. And I'm certain that already this year in the High Holidays, we'll be standing in Yerushalayim. I'm certain that in the Bet HaMikdash, they can blow the shofar for us in front of the Sanhedrin. And we'll see, how beautiful was the Kohen Gadol when he came out of the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippurim. One day, God willing, very soon, we'll merit to see that happen. Until then, I wish you a beautiful evening. Shalom Aleichem.